Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is another Community Spotlight episode of Pod People's Podcast for people who make podcasts. I'm Tyler Green, your host and the head of community here at Pod People. In this Spotlight episode, I spoke with M.R. Raquel, whose bio is so beautifully and intentionally written, we actually reference it a few times throughout the course of this episode. So I'm just going to read it to you. M.R., they, she, is queer, bilingual, Spanish and English, since birth, and a storyteller through narrative audio, music, writing, and cooking. They are a justice-based producer and storytelling consultant who finds the work of decentering themselves as an interviewer critical to honoring the storytellers and the narratives by, for, and from the community. By handing the microphone to folks in the community, this becomes a reality. Facilitating the sharing of community stories and meals has shaped MR's experience working with organizations such as StoryCorps through NPR and Omnidon Publishing, paired with years of practice in the culinary arts in the Bay Area. Amazing. And as soon as this conversation finished, I was like, can we be friends, please? I don't have any friends since moving to the Bay Area at the beginning of the pandemic, and I would like to go on a hike with you. And so more to come on that exciting journey. But we're going to join our conversation as MR tells us about their experience working with StoryCorps. It sounds corny, but it was just life-changing. I mean, seriously, I... I mean, fortunately, I started in October 2019, so I did get about six months out on the road doing actual in-person recordings before the pandemic hit, but I also got that transition into a virtual remote world, which in podcasting, you just do deal with quite a lot. So I'm really lucky to have gotten my hands dirty in both capacities. My first recording stop was in Dallas, Texas. And I remember showing up the first morning and seeing the StoryCorps Airstream. So I'll pause quickly. And so for folks that don't know, StoryCorps is a NPR-affiliated oral history project that travels around the country in this incredible outfitted Airstream that's a mobile recording studio. And it's a huge Airstream. It's incredible. It's totally soundproof. And that's where we do all of these super intimate recordings. And the recordings are oral history style between two people who know each other and have some kind of relationship. And the goal is really to get people's life histories down. And then we have a partnership with the Library of Congress, and that's where all of the stories get archived for posterity. So it's the largest collection of stories from the United States that exists. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And then those stories get edited down to about two to three minute segments that air on NPR on Friday mornings. So it's just a really incredible place to be. It's, it's great. It's funny, I was going to ask you your bio is really illustrative and really interesting. And there's like two parts of it I want to zoom in on. But one piece was justice-based producer. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to say a little bit more about what that specifically means to you. Yeah. So I consider my practice of storytelling to really center the experience of the narrator. So as a producer, I think a lot of the time you go in with certain questions and a story that you're looking for. And I do find that that is really helpful in some circumstances, but I think bringing the oral history approach makes it so that I am less looking for that story and waiting to see what story comes out of the conversation and letting someone's history evolve. And for me, justice-based producing means that I actually go out into community and give microphones to people that may not have access and may not have the opportunity to tell their stories and actually am physically giving microphones to whether it's unhoused folks or folks who are formerly incarcerated to 
help people get storytelling projects off of the ground and get their stories out there. And that's really important work for me, and I don't see it ever stopping. Mm -hmm. So I just want as many people as possible to get out there and tell their stories because I really do believe that everybody has a story to tell. So for me, it's, it's really centering the experience of the storyteller that I'm working with and making sure that I'm honoring their experience and what they want to get out of it and that we're not going in and digging or scratching at wounds that are really hurtful. And if we're going to have to go in that route, that we're being very delicate. And so to that end, I have a, a system of before and after care that I practice during the, the recording process with my storytellers. So I keep in very close contact with a lot of the people that I work with. Someone that I recorded with in February, I still talk to on the phone once a week. We text all the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that also is in tandem with being bilingual and bicultural because my mom is from El Salvador. And so that allows me to do recordings in Spanish, in Spanglish, with the Latinx community. And so that's also really important work to me. Yeah, that was the other part of your bio that I wanted to zoom in was the bilingual part and to have you talk a little bit more about your experience as a bilingual audio creator, specifically in this industry. Yeah. So I think... We're at an interesting moment for bilingual storytelling in that a lot of people want to be doing it, but there aren't exactly like foolproof systems set in place yet for what I consider to be true, accessible bilingual storytelling. Like a lot of people want to be doing Spanish stories, but don't have someone to translate, don't have Mm -hmm. someone to do the voiceover in English, don't know how to access the Latinx community in in their local city or state or wherever it is that they are. And so for me, like when you're going in to do a bilingual story, like right now I'm working on a podcast about essential workers and a lot of folks in the Latinx community don't necessarily understand this term essential workers, even though they've been essential forever. And our society would collapse without Latinx labor in our country who are so essential to the fabric of the United States. And so for me, like, I don't ever want to come in with the assumption that somebody understands something that maybe like we have to take the time to break that down for them and not make any kind of assumptions about what somebody is bringing into that space. So doing bilingual recording, I want to really make sure that we're being sensitive to the cultural nuances in the Latinx community and the stigma about mental health and maybe getting a little bit too emotional or machismo or Mm. queerness, things that aren't really discussed in Latinx storytelling. Like we see a lot of immigration stories and stories about the border, which of course are very important, but where are the stories of the queer narrators and first-generation students? Like, I remember facilitating a conversation from StoryCorps of two young people around my age who are both immigrants and had been here since they were in their teens or so, who are now studying to be lawyers and really passionate about education and following that thread. And so I feel that we need to open up the dialogue about you know, not thinking of the Latinx experience as a monolith, that will really bring a lot of compassion and tolerance to folks in the country. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm having this thought, and also, by the way, like reading the bio that you've created for yourself, which we'll put in the show notes, it's it's so intentional. And you strike me as a person who really understands that empathy is at the center of their work. And I make up that some people who listen to this show, particularly those who are early in their career or who are going through a career transition, 
may not have the awareness and the sort of ability to articulate the fact that they are a queer bilingual audio storyteller, justice-based producer and storytelling consultant, right? As a, as a way to kind of maybe advise those folks, what would you say to somebody who maybe feels like not quite clear what their direction is in this space? And yeah, what would you advise them to do? <laughs> Look within. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be like sappy or anything. Like, I'm admiring the fact oh, that like I, I'm relating to you in a way because like I I'm interested in all the things that you have done. <laughs> and you. I'm also aware that like I haven't done all of those things. Like, I've also done a lot of things that like are not quite close to my mm. heart and soul that I did to either make money or I thought I liked. Mm. And and I'm wondering, yeah, what you think of that. I don't want to pretend to be anything that I'm not when I'm showing up in a space, but that doesn't mean that I'm not using intuition to make sure that I'm presenting a version of myself that will be able to work with whoever I meet. I want to be that kind of producer that's flexible and can work with kind of a wide variety of storytellers. Right. And I think... It, you know, empathy is a funny word because I feel like it gets thrown around a lot, um, mm -hmm. especially in terms of just empathetic storytelling. I would say it's it's really about listening to people because listening is an action word to me instead of like we say we want people to be heard. But I don't just need somebody to be heard. I want someone to be listened to and action taken if that's what the person is asking or just some kind of personal growth or change to happen if I put out a story into the world or if I'm connecting with a storyteller. I want there to be a lasting effect. I don't want to ever go in to talk to somebody and have them feel like, oh, that was a weird experience. I don't. I wish I hadn't shared my story with that person, which is why I'm always checking up with my storytellers. And I don't come from a hard journalism background, so I know that if you go to J school, you learn how to interview in a very different way. And yeah. I think, obviously, I'm sure I would benefit from learning a lot more of those practices as well. I think having a really holistic approach and being open to blending genres, like I love metal, I'm a metalhead, and I love certain genres of metal because they blend so many different kinds of music, whether it's like punk and hardcore and atmospheric black metal and like black metal and thrash and like all these different things. And so you're left with this amalgamation that's a new thing. It's totally its own. And you've been a part of creating that thing that's mm -hmm. totally its own. But for me, like, I guess the most important thing, and like I say in my bio, is really decentering myself as a storyteller, because even though I have my own stories to tell, that's not where I'm at right now. I really am focused and passionate about helping other people tell their stories in ways that feel really authentic and safe and comfortable. And and if we're taking it slow, that's okay. If we're not taking it slow, that's okay. I just really like want to create an experience that feels comfortable and safe for the storyteller. That's really my main priority, and I, I don't ever want to compromise on that. Is the before care, is that what you said, the before care and the after care, is that something that you created yourself? And then are you able to talk a little bit more about what that looks like in real life? Yeah, it is something I created myself in kind of this narrative of just relationships in general. When you go through or experience something with someone in your life that's intense, I believe that there should be before and after care in that process, whether that's 
the death of a loved one, you know, which is just a big thing that you experience with other people. But, you know, after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, we stop checking in about how somebody's feeling. And I think it's actually really important to continue that process of checking in. So for me, before care could mean, like, let's say I'm working on a piece and there's a particular story that we want to get. I may push back on the questions that we ask if we're not getting enough information from the storyteller about who they are first. I don't want a storyteller to show up to an interview and be like, hey, how are you doing? Okay, let's just dive into this like extremely intense experience that you had. I want there to feel like, no, actually, we really care about who you are because I do. And to me, that's more important than getting that potentially traumatic nugget of information. And so part of that also to me is a pre-interviewing process where I like to actually share potential questions that I may ask with my storytellers and get their input. Like, how does this question land for you? Do you want to talk about this thing? Just really giving agency to the storyteller because I find that we end up at a very vulnerable place that way. We're creating a relationship and the storyteller can tell me, you know what, I don't want to do that. This project that I was working on, a bilingual storytelling project through Temple University, a few months ago, I was working with a storyteller named Carolina in Mexico, and we were talking about the loss of her son when he crossed the border. And she wanted to share three stories with me about times where her son has visited her from the afterlife. And I thought that was much more poignant than the actual loss and the story of that loss and re-traumatizing potentially of her telling that horrible story of of her loss of her beloved son, Marco Antonio. And Mm -hmm. to me, I was so interested in those afterlife visits because it told me so much about her, so much about him, someone that unfortunately I won't ever get the chance to meet, and about their relationship. And so Carolina and I keep in very close contact, and I was a very strong advocate for her to get all of her paperwork translated, get all of her stipend information translated, making sure that all of the paperwork was accessible in Spanish, because a lot of the times that's something that goes unnoticed, is just if you're sending stipend information or tax documents documents overseas, someone who is a monolingual Spanish speaker, who's there to help with those documents. And so I always offer my services as much as I can, although I'm not great at doing taxes. So I I advocated for somebody from Temple University to help her. And those are the kinds of things that mean before and after care for me in, in the process. Yeah. So much to absorb and learn from, from that and from you. That's amazing. And I think we have time for one more question. How did you find and hear about pod people? Yeah, I mean, I had a wonderful experience via LinkedIn with Sammy from pod people finding me for this gig that I'm currently working. It was great to communicate with her and it just made everything so easy. Like it was within, I don't know, maybe a week or something between being contacted and like kind of getting started with this show that was already Mm -hmm. almost in full gear and really needed a producer and editor And so I'm super, super grateful. The gig itself is something that it's a really cool experience. I think that the team that we've established really blends well together because we're all bringing a different skill set to the table for this show. And the show is tentatively called Essential Voices. And it's iHeartMedia and also Clamor Audio, which is part of United Talent Agency. And... 
we are making a show that is about essential workers and really giving essential workers a platform to share their stories, which is then followed up by a roundtable discussion between the host, who is Wilmer Valderrama, and local activists and politicians. And then, funnily enough, I've actually been asked to moderate the show. So I'm going to sort of be bringing some of my StoryCorps facilitation skills into this space by actually being included in the roundtable discussions and helping to moderate them. We're just producing now our essential interviews. They've been going incredibly well. We have some incredible essential workers, lots of people from the food industry, and it's been going really well. So I'm excited to see what we come up with. I think the first episode is set to air in the end of July. So fingers crossed we make the deadline. (laughs) Yes, I love that. We identified you as a person who would be great for this show. Then they were like, I love this person. And then you're working on the show and it's happening and it's giving you something new in your life and something exciting. And so I'm just... I'm so grateful. Seriously, I was still in Boston. I had been living with my mom throughout the pandemic. And I just remember being like, like, what, like, what, how did this happen so fast? Just like being amazed. And I was familiar with pod people just like in the production sense, but I didn't know that there was the kind of matchmaking freelance to organizations element. And so I would fully recommend connecting, um, connecting to you, anybody that's looking for freelance gigs. It just made everything super easy. Yeah. I, I feel super fortunate. Awesome. I think that's a beautiful spot to land. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can hang out in the real world sometime. I'd love to keep this chat going. I'd love it. MR's intuition and sensitivity to interviewees and their stories inspires compassion, curiosity, and a desire to learn more from them. It is truly amazing. And it is a great reminder that the storyteller is as important, if not more important, than the story. You can learn more about MR and their projects in the show notes. On next week's episode of Pod People's Podcast for People Who Make Podcasts, I chat with longtime community member Jazzy Johnson, who is a full-time freelance writer and editor and self-describes themselves as an over-opinionated music maven, cultural and political critic, and the recap queen of all things entertainment who's not afraid to fix your grammar, too. A lot of skills transfer over. So a lot of skills that I have in journalism, editing, writing, That transfers over to podcasting as well. The Pod People team is Rachel King, Ann Fuse, Matt Sav, me, Tyler Green, Andrea Perez, Ashton Carter, Isabel Genius, Alexa Brooks Major, Danielle Roth, Sammy Reed, Stephanie Bashara, Devin Wilson, Madison Lusby, Brian Rivers, and Erica Wong. This podcast is edited by Katie Clarkson and mixed and engineered by Erica Wong. All links mentioned in this episode are, of course, listed in the show notes. You know also that Pod People has Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Follow us, like all of our stuff, and give us a comment. And if you haven't already, be sure to join the Pod People community by going to podpeople.com slash join. Once you are there, we will also give you admission into the Pod People Circle, which is our discussion platform and also where we announce all the jobs that we have to staff you on. So be sure to go again to podpeople.com slash join and fill out our intake survey. You can also send us an email at hello at podpeople.com if you have any questions at all. That's all, folks. Have a wonderful day. I'm very analog. My personal phone is still a flip phone. I listen to like a lot of my music on cassette tapes. Um, I have a truck from the 70s. Like, yes. <laughs>